This show is supported by three awesome Bitcoin companies. The first is Shift Crypto. They make the Bitbox O2 Bitcoin-only hardware wallet. If you're new to Bitcoin and you're looking for a way to take self-custody of your Bitcoin, which you absolutely should be doing, this is a very good option. It's very easy to set up. It's very easy to use. Very slick interface. A great option to get you started on your self-custody journey. Visit shiftcrypto.ch forward slash rapidfire to learn more about the product and get 5% off. Next up is the Bitcoin 2022 conference. The 2021 conference was amazing. One of the best experiences of my life. And it's going down again in Miami, April 6th to the 9th. But this time, instead of in Wynwood and a 13,000 person capacity, it's happening on Miami Beach and a 35,000 person capacity. I can't even begin to imagine how amazing it's going to be. There's always a ton of peripheral events and parties and extra stuff going on around the conference. And you get to meet so many awesome people at the conference itself. It really is tremendous. If you've never been to a Bitcoin conference before, this is the one to go to. So check out their website and at checkout, use the code RAPIDFIRE and get 10% off. And finally, the awesome people at bullbitcoin.com. If you're looking to buy Bitcoin in Canada, this is an amazing option. Have a look into them. They are a privacy-focused, non-custodial exchange, which means you buy Bitcoin through them, and then the Bitcoin goes directly to your own custody solution, which, in my opinion, is the most secure way to purchase Bitcoin. Also soon, they'll be offering a white glove service for international clients. So for people that may seem that the setting up their own custody solution is a little bit daunting, they'll be there to hold your hand to get you set up in the best way possible. So keep track of their website for updates on when those services will be available. We're live, Max. It's good to see you again. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be with you. So it's been an eventful uh, few months since we last spoke. There's so much to talk about. First, uh, you know, I'd just like to say congratulations on a strong campaign. I, I'm not in the country right now, but I followed it closely, as did a lot of my peers. And um, it was great to see uh, all the purple around everywhere. And nestled within that purple logic and sensical thinking and freedom-minded people. And that was certainly a bright spot amidst what was otherwise uh, just the expected mess of politics in Canada, I guess we'll say. Yes, absolutely. That was a very good campaign for us. And I must say that we are the only political party in Canada that won the election because you know the liberals wanted a majority they didn't have one the conservatives uh, lost uh, two seats uh, and us we gained from 1.6 percent of the vote to five percent uh, from uh, 300,000 people who voted for us to 842,000 people so the goal was to grow the party we did it and next step, the goal would be to do that again and having uh, some candidates elected. But I was very happy with that election. Uh, we had a nice opportunity to explain our platform, to speak about our platform to Canadians. And, um, and we are working from there now to build a party to be ready for the next election. And, and when will that be, Max? When will the next election opportunity to get people in, when will that be? But for, for us, uh, we are building our strategic plan on the two years. Uh, that can be the minimum. But I believe it will be between two years and three years. But I want the PPC to be ready in two years. And, um, and we will. We will. Yeah. 
we'll, we'll have to move a little quickly in this conversation because we don't have as much time as we usually have. And I, I don't want it all to be doom and gloom, but obviously we have to talk about just how uh, severe the situation has become in Canada, you know? So I believe at this point now, you can't travel on any commercial uh, planes, buses, boats, if you don't have a proof of vaccination. That's probably going to come for interprovincial travel if it hasn't already. As I said, I'm not in Canada, so I'm not as familiar with it as you. But I know you've had some run-ins with law enforcement. You uh, typically, you know, you, you get the media coverage of you is always very slanted or is often very slanted and biased. And of course, your resistance to what I think we would both term as tyranny here doesn't help that cause because it just kind of adds more fuel to the fire for the biased media in their coverage of you. So what's going on, man? What's, what's it like to be in Canada and be trying to push back against all of this right now when the, when the tide is so much against this type of thinking that we both share? So maybe I will start by answering your question, uh, your question on the media just to give, an, to give you an example that they were not covering us and they were not fair in their coverage. Uh, the day of the election, when uh, Justin Trudeau launched the election Sunday, the 15th of August, I said to my team, I'll be in Ottawa. I will do a press conference and uh, we will launch our campaign. I did it. I <clears throat> delivered a speech, 15 minutes in English, 15 minutes in French. And I was very happy because we had 10 journalists in the room and about 15 journalists on the line and asking questions. So I was answering questions for 15 minutes. And after that press conference, I said, oh my God, that would be a good coverage. We had a lot of journalists that came to our uh, press conference. But <clears throat> the fact is the day after, zero coverage. We didn't have any coverage in the press. We didn't have any coverage on TV and we had TV over there. No coverage. Why? Because I believe that all these journalists that were interested in the PPC and asked good questions, they went back to their editorial board and they decided, no, we won't cover the PPC. And that's what they did during all the campaign at the exception of the last week, because you know we are the only story of that election growing from 1.6 to we were in the poll maybe at the time at 8%. So they, they, they were in an obligation to cover us a little bit and they did cover us the last week, but you know, it was not fair. It was not about our platform. But that being said, in Canada, we have actually right now mainstream national media that are not real journalists, that are mostly activist leftists uh, in the CBC, Radio-Canada, or other mainstream media. So what I did during the campaign, I traveled across the country, and I was doing uh, media, traditional local media, local, local newspaper, local radio station. And I can tell you that I had a, a better coverage, uh, a neutral coverage, and these people at the local level were very more uh, professional than the one uh, working for the national media. So that's, that's, <clears throat> that's what it happened with us for the PPC. And what is happening globally in Canada with the COVID hysteria? It is worse than ever. Uh, you said that, yes, I won't be able to travel by plane, by boat and by train in Canada at the end of November. 
Justin Trudeau will impose a vaccine passport for Canadian travelers at the end of November. So, you know, they had in the US in the 1960s, their civil rights uh, revolution. And at that time, a black man was able to be in a bus, but he was obliged to sit at the back of the bus. For me in Canada in 2021, I won't be able to be on a train. I won't be able to be on a plane to travel across this country. That's discrimination, that's segregation. And that, that will happen in a month. And also right now, because I decided not to have the, the two shots and the vaccine and the vaccine passport, because I, you know, I said I'm 58 years old, and my chances of dying from COVID, if I have COVID, it's only 0.5%. So I have 99.5% chances of surviving from COVID. And actually that's why I decided not to take the vaccine. And actually I was right because after that I had COVID. And for me personally, it was like a, a little cold. I was in bed for two days and uh, with a headache. And now I'm perfectly in shape but I had good antibodies. And so my, my decision was the right one because you know I had the statistic in my favor and I didn't die from COVID-19. So that being said, now in Quebec, in Ontario, in BC, in Manitoba, you cannot, if you don't have the two shots, you cannot participate in the civil society. You cannot go to the cinema, you cannot go to the theater, you cannot go to a hockey game, you cannot go to the restaurant. And that's segregation again, that's discrimination. Uh, it's unfair, it's unethical, it's unjust. So, so and, and we are dividing the population in good Canadians and bad Canadians. Good Canadians are the one who decided to have the vaccine passport and to have the two shots. And the bad one, uh, the Canadians like me who decided freely not to take it. So <clears throat> nobody respect our choice and we don't have the freedom of choice anymore in this country because the government doesn't have the courage to impose mandatory vaccination in this country, knowing that if they do that, it would be too much. So they're just going a little bit <laughs> Uh, in a different, uh, they're using a different way to achieve the same goal, saying, yeah, you, you'll have the choice. You can have the vaccine or not, but if you don't take the vaccine, you'll be punished. Uh, you'll be a second-class citizen. So it's kind of using every tools to force Canadians to take the vaccine. And now in Canada, we have about 70% of the population that had the two shots and they want to increase that to 80%, 90%. And that's why they're pushing that vaccine passport and discrimination all across the country. Um, my problem personally is that if that is in force at the end of November, I won't be able to travel across the country. And that's my job as a politician to travel across the country, to build this party, to meet Canadians. And that would be very difficult so if it's enforced, I'm thinking of suing the federal government because that, that is unconstitutional. And actually all these vaccine passports are not based on science. 
because everybody vaccinated once and unvaccinated once can have COVID-19 and can spread COVID-19. The only difference with vaccinated people is if they have COVID, they have less risk of you, less risk of dying from COVID, but they will have mild symptoms. So that's the only difference. Why doing that segregation? It's not based on science and it's not based also on, on, on logic. Uh, for example, I cannot go to a restaurant, but a waiter in a restaurant that is not vaccinated can work in that restaurant. But me as a client, I cannot be there. Another example, I can go to a church in Quebec with a lot of people vaccinated ones and unvaccinated ones, but I'm too dangerous to go to a restaurant. Uh, so it's illogic. It's, uh, it's not based on science and it's not based on common sense. And I hope that more and more Canadians will understand that that's uh, the battle that we are doing at the PPC. Yeah. I agree with all that. It, it, it's and it's so nonsensical and illogical. And maybe you'd have some insight here, Max, because you know you've you've been in the quote unquote halls of power for a while. And when you're with the Conservative Party, et cetera, I mean, the way that the the rhetoric changes around this stuff to suit the narrative, right? So as you said, like last year, Trudeau's up there saying we need to get to seventy percent, eighty percent herd immunity, and now it's there's going to be very, very few exceptions. We're you know basically trying to get it. For everybody, get everyone to take it, the, the, or whether it's about masks or whether it's about vaccine mandates and all this kind of stuff, it's, it's always changing. And you know, for people like you and I, I suspect as we we look at the situation, and not only as you say, is there a complete lack of logic and reason? Is there you know, there's a lot of cowardice and incompetence too. There's a lack of appreciation from of the lessons of that we've learned throughout history of this type of government overreach and intervention. But the one thing that's difficult to discern is there malice here. Like, do you think behind the scenes, you know, people of great power and influence, whether they be corporations, you know, banking interests, etc., is there like is this just incompetence and and fear and hysteria or? Do you think there's something else at play? I know a lot about COVID-19 and government did everything to be sure that uh, they want to protect the population. So, you know, if you have in, if you have if you are in power and you want to decide something and you don't want to be blamed you're gonna do the, the, the maximum that you can do. Like that, you cannot be blamed because you didn't do enough. So you do the maximum. So in the beginning, they did all the maximum and also with the, the UN and the World Health Organization and all these organizations pushing socialist policies. So government did that. And, and they did that because also the population was uncertain about the future. So they had the support of the population. But every day, every day they did a press conference and, and, and the fear was there and that their policy and, and their propaganda was very efficient in the beginning. So now, and, and they had 80%, I'll give you an example, in Quebec, when uh, the premier of Quebec imposed a curfew from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m., he had the support of the population the population was asking for that, was asking for more curfew. 
80% of the population was in favor of that. So that, and the public, uh, politicians are doing politics by survey and pollings, traditional politicians. So they had 80% on their side, they did it. And now with the fear and all that, the population are still, and every day they had a press conference and they spend a lot of money to do advertising and propaganda. So, and, and they did a lot of survey. So they add the population, they, they were able to control the, the population and the narrative. And so that's why they imposed that. And now it's a little bit more difficult for them to stop all that because the population is still believing that uh, COVID-19 is the deadliest uh, virus that we had on this planet. So, and they, they have the, the approval of the population, maybe not 80% now, but maybe 50%. So what we are doing at the BBC, we are doing politics differently based on principles. And we believe that we have the science on our side, we have the logic and the common sense on our side. And the more we speak about the situation, the more support we will have and we'll grow that support. But the problem that we have, the opposition party in Ottawa right now, they don't, they're not the opposition. We have an official opposition, but that's not an opposition because their role is to be in government and they want to have that 60, 70% of the population that agree with vaccine passport. They want to have their support so they don't speak against vaccine passport because they know that there are 60, 75% of the population that agree with that. And so there's no opposition. That's another problem. We are the only real opposition uh, in Canada right now. So that's, uh, and there's only one narrative and the other narrative, our point of view, we cannot be out there in the media. They don't cover us. And it's very difficult to, to uh, be in the mainstream media. Yeah, you know, it's astonishing to me too. And even though many countries have fallen into the hysteria, Canada and Australia, are probably the two worst, but it's, it's still astonishing to me that you can have places like Scandinavia that have just removed all restrictions. You can have places like South Dakota and Florida and Texas and Idaho and these places in the US, some of which never had restrictions. And the results are either equal to or better than places that had more draconian measures imposed on them. And somehow this doesn't enter the thinking or the media or the logic, which again, like I can attribute a lot to incompetence, but it's, it's difficult for me to, to attribute it all to incompetence when there's so many clear comparisons that can be made to help try to frame and, and contextualize this issue in a more accurate way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You have a point there. And, and but now I believe, uh, you know, I don't like what I'm seeing in our country, but I believe that we'll have more support. And, you know, when uh, your vaccine passport won't be valid anymore with that expiration date and the expiration date on your vaccine passport will be when the government will ask you to have a third shot. I believe that a lot of people will look at it and say, you know, you know, I did what they asked me to do and now another shot, you know, enough is enough. And I believe that we'll have more support. And that may happen right now in Canada, they're pushing the booster shot to older people. And, uh, and I think that will come to the population. And now Trudeau said, you know, you need to, you need to have your vaccine passport and we need to push vaccine passport 
on younger people, you know, from five years old to 11 years old, when they are not at risk. They're, they're not at risk. And so there's no risk for them. If you look at the statistic and the data, only 17 young people in Canada died with COVID on 27,000 people uh, since COVID-19, since the beginning of that pandemic. So they're not at risk. And the majority of these young people died with COVID with comorbidities. So young people are not at risk. And we are pushing that vaccine to these people. And, and we don't respect the, uh, the, the, the consent of the parents because the parents must be able to decide if the, their kids will have uh, the, vaccine, the vaccine or not. But that's not the case right now. They're pushing and pushing and pushing. So I don't know when it will end, but I can tell you that it will have to end the day. And uh, the more draconian measures they're putting forward, I think the better it will help us as a political movement. More people will realize that you know we're not living in a in a free country anymore. Yeah, I think one of the unfortunate aspects of this, and this is a multifaceted issue, right? We're talking about politics and economics and psychology and health. And so there's many considerations here. But in my opinion, and the opinion of a lot of the people that I speak to in, in my world, you know, if we, if we accept that money is the primary coordinating mechanism for society and economics generally, when the mechanism of money, when the instrument of money begins to break down, then there's somewhat of a vacuum left over for controlling and managing an economy. And I think this is probably why we're seeing such a um, such a motivation for the political apparatus to step in and be more controlling because there's even, it may not be conscious for most people, but there's a reality of the breakdown of the currency unit in most countries in the world as fiat currencies continue to unravel and as governments continue to rack up debt and as the money printers continue to spit out, you know, to work overtime. And so my fear is that even if you're right, that people start to get somewhat fed up, there's still this dynamic where the primary mechanism of coordination is failing and governments will naturally, because there'll be all sorts of problems as a result of that, right? Social problems, economic problems of all kinds. And who the, the, the people of most countries have been trained to look at the government to resolve those problems. And so they go to the government and they say, hey, hey, there's a problem with pricing. There's a problem with housing. There's a problem with food. There's a problem with health. And the government can only do one thing, and that is control more and print more money and exacerbate the problem. And so to me, it seems like a real perfect storm whereby we won't resolve this issue until, until money is out of the hands of government. That's, that's the only resolution here. There can be political victories here and there. And even in these countries that, where things have opened up, if the coordinating mechanism continues to fail, then the people will ask for more government intervention ultimately. And, you know, I, I'm sure I don't have to tell you, but the situation in Canada, I mean, with the amount of money that's been borrowed and the amount of money that's been printed, there's going to be, and you talk about this all the time, the, 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 and the inflation is understated, but even the, the number that they're willing to post is, is far higher than what they were claiming, you know, but six to 12 months ago. And so when, when more and more people can't afford housing, when more and more people can't afford food, when supply chains continue to be disrupted and break down and real problems start to emerge, and I hesitate to say that because 
the tyranny that's happening in Canada right now certainly is a real problem, but I mean, problems for people that acquiesced and, and went along with everything, then what, you know? And like, that's why I, I we, we, whenever we have these conversations, I respect so much the, the persistence and what you and, and the People's Party have done and everyone who's involved in the organization. And I do think there's a political component to this problem, but I think the primary battlefield is getting money out of the goddamn hands of government because until we do that, they have too much power and they'll be, look, I mean, they're, they're paying people to sit at home and do nothing now. So of course those people are going to go along with whatever they want. They're literally on the payroll. And, and how many problems downstream in the economy is that causing for the price of goods and you know the labor market and all that kind of stuff? I mean, it's absolute insanity. But I don't see it stopping until we get money out of the hands of government, and you know, hence my my interest in Bitcoin. And I noticed you, you know, you know, made some favorable tweets over the course of the campaign to that regard as well. But I mean, I, I don't know if there's a question there, but yeah, I'd love to hear your comment. But first of all, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, the federal government in Canada was able to do all these programs and sending money to Canadians and telling them, you know, stay at home, I'll pay you. Uh, you know, asking a small business owner to uh, uh, stop their business and close their doors, and we're going to give you some money. And we had the biggest deficit in our history, $352 billion in one year. But the government was able to do that because of money, yes, because of the Bank of Canada. The Bank of Canada financed the, the deficit. And so the Bank of Canada was and is still printing money to buy Canadian bonds and to finance these uh, huge uh, deficit. So what is happening when the Bank of Canada is doing that? It's uh, inflation. Inflation, you know, <clears throat> if you have the same uh, amount of money in an economy and a good is going up, another good will, uh, the price of a good is going up, the price of another good will have to go down because you have the same amount of, of money in the economy. Inflation is always because of a monetary policy, because of the Bank of Canada here in Canada or the Fed in the US. So that being said, the federal government was able to do that. And now you have more and more people that are dependent on the government for, for their money. And the more people you have dependent on the government, the more pressure the government has to be generous with these programs. Actually, that's why Justin Trudeau you know, said that <clears throat> these programs will end at the end of September. And after that, he said it will end at the end of November and always postponing the, the, the date. Because for him, money is no object. The Bank of Canada can print it. But what people don't realize is the money that they receive uh, it, it won't be able to buy the same amount of goods and services because of the inflation. And today we had the inflation number 4.5% here in Canada. That's the official inflation. I can tell you that uh, if you do your grocery, the inflation will be about 5% there. Uh, the real inflation is higher than that. And inflation would go up because the Bank of Canada is still printing money. You know, when you print money, it's like, you know, if you are in the business of a T-shirt, if you produce a lot of T-shirts, your price will go down. 
And because, and if your t-shirts are very rare, your price will go up. So it's same thing with money. When you print a lot of money, the price of money is going down. Inflation is there. So inflation is a hidden tax. Inflation is a loss of your purchasing power. Inflation is um, uh, a loss of your stand, um, uh, purchasing power standard and of standard living, yeah. of living, a standard yeah. of living. So everybody is poor with inflation. So that's happening right now. And as you may know, our solution at the PPC is to have an agreement with the Bank of Canada and telling them, you know, you cannot, you cannot print any money out of thin air. You must have a zero inflation target because 20 inflation is not good and 2% or 1% inflation is not good. And like that, the Bank of Canada won't be able to create money out of thin air. But we may have more competition in the, with money. And that's why I tweeted, like you said, about Bitcoin. And I believe that it's an alternative, like gold is another alternative. And um, people, uh, and I'm against regulations uh, on, uh, on Bitcoin or any money like that. It must be free and the free market must be able to do what they want without any more, any regulation from central banks. But yeah. that being said, the problem is at the core of all that is our fiat money system, is the Bank of Canada. Because imagine if uh, the Bank of Canada <clears throat> say no to the government and I won't print that money. Trudeau, uh, <clears throat> Trudeau would want to be able to, uh, to, yeah, to do to do all these uh, lockdowns because that's why you know I'm speaking against lockdowns and, and vaccine passport, but it's because of the federal government that say, that give to provinces financial support for them to do these lockdowns and vaccine passport. So without any access to uh, print money and out of thin air from the Bank of Canada, uh, all that uh, would have not been there. And so that's why when you said the problem is, is the money, is the Bank of Canada, we don't have a sound money anymore. I think you have a point there. Yeah. And I know we're short on time, Max, but just to put a pin on this point is, you know, like, you're absolutely right. And then Trudeau said to the, the provinces, hey, we'll give you a billion dollars for this rollout. You don't have to take it. Like, what province is going to turn down a billion dollars, right? But this is yeah. the this is the part of the, the moral hazard of having that that printing press. And, you know, we I agree with you that um, competition should, you know, the, the market should be open for competition. What I think is happening now, and I'm sure this has hit your radar, you, you probably saw in El Salvador that they adopted Bitcoin as legal tender. And I think what the market is saying, there's a couple of things I want to want to say. One is that I think Bitcoin is going to win in the market for money, right? So whatever those other crypto assets ultimately end up being and however long they end up being around for, whatever value gets ascribed to them, I don't think the value ascribed to them will be as dominant base layer money. Um, and I think El Salvador recognized that, and that's why they instituted that change. And I think it was very, you know, kind of, kind of forward thinking for them to do so. But, you know, I don't know if we discussed this, Hay this uh, Hayek quote last time we spoke, but it, it was Hayek who said, I don't believe we'll have a free market money again until somehow, by some roundabout way, it's taken out of the hands of government. And, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about Bitcoin and gold before, but it's, you know, I think we need to repeat the point that gold was money in the past. 
but it kind of goes through these cycles of being money and then it being kind of taken away and governments find a way to replace it with something and then it emerges again and we're in this cycle of of money and i think bitcoin is that roundabout way of a money that they can't stop and this is why you know myself and all the bitcoiners are so passionate about it because there are many problems in society and the political apparatus is a part of helping to manage them and, and balance them all but again as we keep saying until we get the, the the money printer out of their hands in a way that they can't stop all those efforts will be you know kind of for naught and what bitcoin is doing and what Bit is is defunding basically the government right is starving them of of their ability to maintain control over the money and so you know there's two my two final points on that is one a lot of bitcoiners message me and i'm, I'm sure message you during the campaign to say that they are single issue voters and that Bitcoin is a very important issue for them because they realize that it lies at the very foundation of all this craziness we're seeing now, the, the money. And two, I think, you know, on that point about it being Bitcoin and, and not those other things, again, I'm not, not suggesting you should be against competition, but a recognition that the, a new dominant money that can't be stopped is emerging and it's emerging in Bitcoin. And I think uh, having that be a part of the political rhetoric and maybe maybe introduced by you. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, as Bitcoin continues its march upwards, it's going to be part of the public lexicon more and more. And in fact, we're speaking today on a day where it's reaching another all-time high. But I, I think it's really important to have that be a part of the the political message: the centrality of a money that cannot be corrupted and cannot be co-opted by the government. You know, and so. Um, I think uh, you'd gain a lot of single issue voters if you if you honed in on that some more. Yeah, but you know, I, I'm the only uh, politician that is speaking about monetary policy and, and yes, open, <laughs> which to, is crazy uh, in itself, right? Yeah, and open to Bitcoin. But also that being said, you know, the central bankers will just wait, sorry about that. Yeah, the central the central bankers will uh, help you guys, because they will print money. They, they cannot stop down at that. It's too late. Uh, they cannot raise interest rate. Uh, people uh, have huge debts and same thing with corporation governments. So they cannot stop. Uh, the drug is there. They want that drug and they will print more money. By doing that, it will help you because the inflation will go up and Bitcoins, it's very good uh, against inflation like gold. And so that will help and more, I believe that more and more people will look at it and more and more people will understand that it's a safe money also. So uh, well, I think gold hasn't done so well with inflation over the last uh, 18 months, right? Yeah, no, you're right. I think Bitcoin did better uh, than, than gold. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely, if you look at the, you know, uh, at the reality and, and uh, yes, you're right, but I believe I believe that uh, the central bankers will help your cause. And, and I believe that, you know, you cannot stop something when, uh, when more people will want it. And I believe that more people will want it because we'll have more inflation that will help. And, and yes, you're right by saying people went to gold when usually historically when we had inflation and now it's a kind of a competition with gold and Bitcoins. And I must say that in the past couple of uh, months, um, uh, gold did not so well uh, against inflation. Yeah, I mean, I think this is just, 
you know, a changing of the guard. We're, we're heading into a new era and people recognize that as great as gold was, it, it couldn't keep government out of money. Ultimately, it kept falling into the trap of being centralized and being co-opted. And that's why I think we will see the trend continue of kind of gold somewhat demonetizing because a money that is less susceptible to corruption and co-option is emerging in the world. And, you know, the Bitcoiners are on your side too, Max, because Bitcoiners are about freedom. They're about responsibility. Yeah. They're about fairness. And this is what they want. So, you know, if you want to speak to them, speaking on, uh, on, on Bitcoin would certainly probably um, appeal to them. But I know, uh, I know that's our time up for today. I, I do appreciate you making the time for a chat. You're fighting the good fight, man. And I, I got a lot of respect for you uh, for doing that because, you know, I know how difficult and frustrating it must be. But I'm glad there's at least some people out there that still value the principles that, you know, the party stands for and that you espouse all the time. And I hope uh, all of our efforts taken together are successful ultimately, because if not, it's a, it's a scary world that, that awaits us. Yeah, no, I, I believe we will win that battle of ideas and, and, and of, on freedoms. Uh, I think it's too important. I don't know when, uh, but uh, you can count on us. Uh, the PPC, we won't change. We have the same policies. We'll always be there to fight for individual freedom, personal responsibility, fairness, and respect. That's all four principles. And I want to thank you for giving me this opportunity. So we'll have the opportunity also, I believe, to have another chat uh, a little bit later. And, um, and you know, each time I had a discussion with you, <laughs> if I compare that with the last time, Bitcoin is a little bit higher now. It's, it's, <laughs> it's growing every time. So uh, the first discussion that I had with you, I said, I'm looking at it. I may buy some uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin and, uh, and maybe I will. Uh, I'm more in gold, like you know, personally, but I'm looking at it and I believe that it's a real alternative against inflation. And, uh, yeah. yeah, well, it's it's not going to stop, Max. So you might as well take the plunge now, right? Yeah, get off, I, get get off zero, and and next time we talk, um, you know, you'll probably be uh, happy for having done so. But I appreciate the time. Anytime you want to chat in the future, you just let me know, and we'll we'll have another discussion. But until then, take care of yourself up there because um, yeah, you know, you need to be. So good luck, and and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. I appreciate that. Have a nice Thanks, day. Thanks, Max. Take care. Bye bye. Okay.